You're listening to Smart Businesses Do This. And in today's episode, we talk to Vinny Fisher, an entrepreneur and best-selling author who has over 20 years of experience growing and scaling multiple eight-figure companies. Learn and understand exactly what you need to do in order to grow and scale your company. I'm Adam Lyons. Let's get started. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. Today, I am joined by the one and only Vinny Fisher. Hey, Vinny, how are you doing? Good, Adam. Thanks, buddy. And so rather than getting into exactly what you do, which is incredible and obviously deals a lot with metrics and helping entrepreneurs understand exactly what they need to do in order to grow and scale their company, I want to share how we met because you gave me a piece of advice that is still impacting me to this very day. And we met at a mastermind, I mean, it's in San Diego, the boardroom mastermind. And I went there and I didn't really know anybody. I was sort of like competent in my own field, but was still a little bit lost when it came to the wider world of business and marketing. And you gave me this piece of advice, which really changed everything for me, which was, you said, I think for someone like you, it would pay for you to, rather than trying to own 100% of something, for you to be comfortable taking maybe a smaller percentage in many things and branching out. And what was fascinating to me at the time was everyone was telling me the opposite advice. Everyone was saying like, you know, do the one thing, just focus on one business. And it's because of your advice and the fact that I listened to it, that I am where I am today, as successful as I am today. And I think more importantly, I feel fulfilled because I never get bored. I constantly have a different project to look at, a different thing to do. But what's great is all of the different projects I work on use the same kind of skill set. So my skill set's still advancing, but I'm getting to test it in so many different ways in so many different areas. And I love it. So first of all, thank you. It's one of the best piece of advice I've ever got. It really was awesome. Well, I really love it. You know, as for someone who uh, loves to help people, one of the most rewarding parts of that is when you hear someone go and try it. <laughs> and that's so I can't tell you how fulfilling that is. And you can, because you do that with other people as well. So thank you for that. Yeah, no problem. Now, I'll go one step further as well. I think I love in this episode for people coming on here to hear this, because all the people that I've been interviewing are friends or colleagues and people that I've worked with. But Vinny still is someone that I regard as a mentor in many ways, like he's somebody that I look up to and have a lot to learn from still. And I'm never going to forget the other day, we're going back only a couple of weeks now, Vinny messaged me out the blue and said, hey, do you want to jump on a call and chat? And I was like, yeah, sure. And what I thought was just going to be a chat ended up being something that realistically, Vinny, is the kind of thing that I would pay people for. You gave me some really good insight, which I'm still digesting. And yeah, it, it meant a lot. So I truly respect you. And for anyone listening to this, like, I'll be honest with you, you're probably going to listen to as much as you learning from it is me learning from Vinny, because he's a very wise and accomplished individual. Very kind of you. <laughs> I appreciate it. So Vinny, just brag for a moment for people listening who maybe haven't heard of you or don't know what you do. Just uh, if you want my sharing with the audience, just talk a little bit about how great you are and the things that you've done. Yeah. I'll tell you, I often think about what I would want my epitaphs to say. And I hope that people know me as a dedicated husband who loves and tries to help his children by being in my life. For me, my faith is important to me to be a dedicated follower of Christ. And I hope that people know that I love and I'm a friend to many. 
That's really at the end of the day what I want people to know about me. What I've had the privilege of doing as part of that is I've had the privilege of being able to successfully grow, sell one, break another, a few eight-figure businesses. I'm in the process of now building another one. And so when I think people look at me and they take an honest, sober judgment of me, they'd say that's an industry expert of a guy who knows how to grow a business beyond his own shadow. And here we are again doing that with a company called Fully Accountable, where I solved the need in my own businesses to be able to provide a full outsourced solution for accounting and finance, living in this e-commerce, digital, high transaction community. And so now here I am again, building a business that grows beyond my shadow. This particular one is not building off any of my expertise because I'm not an accountant or a data analyst. But now we have 75 plus people on the team and have made the Inc. 5000 list and are destined to make it for a few years in a row here. At least we're the industry's largest and probably this trendsetter of what we're doing. And so there you go. There's my little commercial. I love that. And I think you really touch an important point because it's the thing that most business owners don't want to touch is their accounting. And I'm friends of a lot of venture capitalists and they all say that the first thing they'll do when they go into a company is tighten up the accounting in the books to see what's going on. You look at Shark Tank, the very first thing you say is know your numbers, like what's going on. So obviously what you're doing, there is a need for it. And yet so many business owners shy away from it. You know, with you being so experienced about that, why do you think entrepreneurs and business owners shy away from knowing their numbers? Yeah, I'll give it the three reasons I think are true, which are also true of me looking in the mirror and being honest about it. One, I still to this day serve an idol called gross revenue. And so I believe that gross revenue solves all problems. Now, I've come to learn that that's not true, but that's my first and foremost problem. Problem number two, I'm not qualified. In other words, financials and the things around it are a technical practice. And I'm a very good marketer. I like sales. And so when left to my own devices, I go back to my actual habits of what I'm really good about in business. And I tend to avoid the things I'm not good at. And I shy away from it, one, because of fear, two, lacking competence. And three, you know, I might not have wanted to know what I was actually going to look at. And that brings me to my third point. You know, when the bucket is leaky and things are falling out, it requires you to make good, mature, in some cases, hard decisions on how to operate the business. And I think willful avoidance for me was just go get more revenue, not worry about where it's falling off. And those three things are, I think, what leads most entrepreneurs into avoiding certain aspects of their business. For sure, the accounting and finance kind of back office protocol of the company. I love that insight. And I think, obviously, you've hit the nail on the head on all those points. Do you think that, is it possible for somebody to get control of their accountability to see these numbers? and for their business to not improve? No, I don't think it's possible. (laughs) I love that. I knew that was your answers. And there was a reason I wanted to go there because there is a cost associated with getting your numbers, dialing in and seeing it all. And I know that for many companies, like myself included, when we first started, that cost just seemed like such a high expense for something that wasn't really a reward because it's very easy to spend money when you think of gaining, but it's a lot harder to think of spending it just to have somebody tell you back your data that is supposedly already available, but actually you can't read it and can't see it. If you wouldn't mind dialing in a little bit on that, on why it's so beneficial and what kind of return would someone get if they actually got their numbers dialed in? 
Yeah. First off, I agree with that. If you actually are going down this road to do it, when that is dedicate the expense to having it done, there's three parts that first start with a problem. You know, I think even I started out this way. We wanted the cheapest solution possible. And then based on its results, we determined whether or not it added any value to our business. I realized when I was churning through CFOs, I'd hire one and I'd even pay a pretty penny for them to come on board over $100,000, whatever that looked like for each person. I'd significantly invest in having a CFO on my team. And it wasn't until before fully birthed, what actually birthed fully accountable, I realized that I was asking this person to do four jobs. To be done correctly, there really are four jobs in that department. And I think that when the light bulb went on with that, I realized that initially what my mindset was all wrong about was the investment. It started with having to look at these four jobs and what they needed to do. Now it's such a highly profitable department for us. And for many companies who even utilize our service, that it's no longer a cost structure. You know, you made a comment earlier that people who go out and professionally put money into businesses, the first thing they want to do is fix the accounting and finance. If you reverse engineer the way valuation experts and money people look at businesses, only a first few questions are around revenue and client acquisition. The rest of it is around the business model on the financial acuity of the business. And there's a reason why, because it's the part that can most greatly impact the profit margin. And so how I see it, And what I see every day in all these businesses is that if you actually make a real honest effort to change your mindset on what this can do for your business, I see businesses every day doubling their profit margin and growing far beyond their shadow because they actually put the perspective of investing in profit margin ahead of even gross revenue. I love that. I've got a few mentors who I really look up to when it comes to business. And you're one of them, Roland Frazier being another one and a few other sort of like big names, people I truly respect. And just to give some insight into these numbers and how to use them, I don't know if I told you this, I acquired a business about a month ago now, and we've been negotiating for six months. And during the negotiation process, without getting to the little details, I discovered that their accounting wasn't up to date. And while they definitely had accounting, it definitely wasn't robust. They didn't have any of the numbers or metrics that they really needed, although the taxes were handled and done. And I used that as leverage to negotiate what ended up being an 80% discount on my purchase of the company. So uh, they accepted 20% of what they originally valued the business. And then due to the fact that nothing was in place, I argued for a six month after purchase continuation of analysis of it, which in short translated to I paid the 20% over a period of six months starting on month two. So I acquired it on day zero didn't pay anything for the first 60 days and then had five months to confirm if I wanted to go ahead with this purchase while already having the assets of the business and using it to grow and build itself. And actually, I ended up generating money from the business to pay off the 20% of the original purchase price to buy the business. But it all came down to simply because they didn't have their numbers in place. It gave me a very big bargaining chip to get a huge discount on the purchase. You know, what's funny is we set out to, I love that, by the way, that, congratulations. And I, you and I talked about that transaction and yeah. I love that's coming out. But I think what happens is, at least for me, when I started out in business or a business, I seem to be a serial entrepreneur. I set out to either, I had a good idea that I know I could sell, or hopefully more importantly, I have a problem I'm solving. I don't think mentally I signed up for all the other components of the business. 
And I think what happens to the back-end structure of the acuity of the accounting and finance is it falls into that bucket of the other parts of the business. And I think it's like my marriage with conversations or other things. I can get into this habit and I can tend to ignore the other elements of the business. And I think this area of the business, finance, gets treated like that. And what happens is a good indicator of that is when you hear people talk about, well, at least I have, you said, my tax return done. I think because of the way we run businesses, we treat it like an end of the year event, as opposed to a daily, weekly, and monthly activity that allows us to strategically save cash and grow more intelligently. If we could start with the most important piece of it, which is change our mindset on this, I believe that the statistic of the businesses that close could be greatly reduced by this issue alone. I don't disagree with you at all. I think that it's like treating it like an actual business. You know, it's like the difference between the guy that quote unquote makes money in the coffee shop. Like he'll say like, you know, I'm an entrepreneur working out of a coffee shop, but I tend to find they're really just freelance employees and they're not business owners. And yes, they've probably got a corporation or something they're running their money through, but it's not the same. Whereas a real business, when you've got employees and you're dealing with your profit margins and KPIs, that's really where you start to level up in my mind anyway. You know, I like that. And by the way, I've really gotten used to language patterns and paying attention to some of the things I say. There are 28 million active businesses in America. At any given time, 22 million of those are basically solo people, like freelancers. They kind of do their own thing. For them, those are, and I know you don't mean it this way, so I'm just using my own language. Sure. Those are real businesses to them. The reality of the fact is they're solopreneur kind of one-man shop things. When you start to grow beyond your shadow and have something bigger than you, you have something bigger than just a job. I would proffer to say that those solopreneurs have more of a job than they do something that's bigger than just them because if they stop, it stops. So I think as a business starts to be a little bit more interdependent on other people and has something that's bigger than just you, it's when you have to really start paying attention to these things if you truly want it to have a greater impact than just whatever you can do within the day. Yeah, I love that. All right. So Vinny, so someone listening to this is like, okay, I want to get my numbers down. Like I want to do this. And maybe mentally they're not like, okay, I'm going to jump on board with fully accountable and do it. What's like some simple things that somebody could do to start getting this process down? Yeah, I love that. You know, I'll tell you, I really don't try to encourage everyone to use us. Not because we can't help everybody, but I want them to first start with doing this. If that leads to really at the end of the day, we do three things. We solve time, money, and resources. Time, because we can do it and you can win back your time. Money, we can do it at a fraction of the cost by offering four jobs for less than the cost of an entry-level person. And we just have all the resources because we built them. But if someone wants to start this journey themselves, please do. We just solve time, money, and resources for somebody. And so here's where I would start. I ask everyone to start here. There are things that are important to you. And if I was a CEO of a business, I am, but I'm saying if I started in a place The first thing I would do is have a data analyst right on my hip who every day is paying attention. And you can be your own data analyst. And here are the things that I would pay attention to. I would pay attention to taking like my profit and loss type statement without getting too crazy. And I would break that down into a daily and weekly snapshot. These are all resources, by the way, that I'm happy to give away to your people. That would be amazing. Oh my gosh, please. That would be wonderful. We'll do that for you guys because we want people to win at this. We'll give you what we recommend are your top 10 indicators you should track and just start doing this real messy. The thing you got to start to evaluate is how much time are you doing it? Do it messy versus having 
someone start to help you. But if you start paying attention to these items, then you'll quickly realize whether you're trapping yourself into work you shouldn't do, but at least you're doing it. And so we'll give you those resources, but I would start with the key indicators that are critical. We'll give you that guide and I would manage cash flow. I will tell you the number one thing that I see what happens in businesses is we spend too much money trying to acquire customers in too many directions. 42% of companies in our space, and I think it's true in other spaces, overspend trying to acquire the customer. And I think if we were more focused on being the profit producer in our company and not the revenue generator, these little hacks can help with that. And that's where I would start. I think that's brilliant. And so, yeah, man, if you could put that resource list up, that would be incredible. Yeah, well, we'll do it. It's done. Amazing. Okay, that's great. So yeah, so we'll make sure that they know about that. That's awesome. Wow, everyone listening, that's incredible. Okay, so someone starts to dial in, they get their numbers down, and they're like, okay, I can see what's going on. What do they even do with that? Like, what should somebody do now they can see the numbers? I'll tell you, this is my motto. This is what I say all the time. Once the owner has better data, he or she is going to be armed with making better decisions. See, the trick isn't whether or not we're really good at what we do. The trick is giving you the data points so that you can make better decisions. Because with that in your hand, you will make your creativity increases. When you know that your labor is out of line or your cost of goods sold are not appropriate or your cash extend on hiring and payroll, once you start seeing where you line up against yourself and line up in your industry and start realizing what your effective margin is, what it could be and what it should be, you start realizing things very quickly on your daily reports of the observations that the data analyst produces. You start noticing, oh my gosh, it's that upsell I have live or that email list didn't work. You start making very good creative decisions because you're armed with information. Before that, you have to guess. Once you have that, even if it's information you might not want to have seen, you are that much closer to making better decisions. And all of a sudden, that stuff that rattles in your head like I'm a fraud, or I'm just guessing, or I wonder if people really knew what I don't know. All that junk that's rattling around in there starts to go away because you really do have information and it'll truly allow you to make better decisions. I love that. You made a great video the other day that was like, why you don't need a CFO. And I remember watching that and thinking about a month ago, we were like, man, we should really consider getting a CFO. (laughs) I saw that video and we were like, oh, actually, you know, it was kind of what prompted me to want to talk to you actually. Why do you think that actually a CFO isn't the right thing? I know you mentioned there's multiple roles that someone needs. Okay, well, the actual offer that's amazing about Fully Accountable is we have a bookkeeper, a controller, a data analyst, and the CFO all wrapped into a package for less than the cost of an intern full-time in your building. Now, let me break that down for you. There are four real jobs in the business on the back end of a company, not just filing your tax return with your CPA. That's a whole other event. But this idea of every day running your business, what happens is we, we recognize as the owner intuitively that we need help. And so what we think we want to do is go hire the smartest finance guy and have him assume a post. When in reality, it's those other three positions around the CFO that are critically important to the early stage of the business. So what we say is why go blow all your budget on the early stage on a guy when you still haven't solved the actual work product that needs to be produced? Because what happens is we get this really smart person in the building, and CFOs are, and they cannot do all the load of all the work. And what happens is we end up blowing the budget on somebody, then blame the entire department because it didn't do anything to move the needle in the company. So what I say is reverse engineer that. 
Start with the data analyst helping you produce the better information. Add to it the components of good finance and accounting. Then when a business maturing a little bit, buy a CFO fractionally, which is what I love about our offering because you don't have to get a full commitment to it because you don't need a full commitment to it. With today's technology and the way we're able to produce information so much faster, the traditional version of the CFO is it's not tired, it's possibly outdated, but it's certainly not a cost structure that the classic American business, a million to 25 million in revenue, doesn't need to dedicate so much fiscal cost to absorbing that one position. And that's why I'm really trying to get people to think very differently about that because that person needs a chance to succeed. And if you invest 150 or 200 grand of salary into that person, well, you've now added eight times cost to the company than you really need to in that stage of growth of what you really need. Mm -hmm. I love that. All right, so let me bite. Like, so what kind of price is it for Fully Accountable if somebody wanted to work with you guys versus hiring a CFO? Yeah, so we have three tier of packages. Our lowest price that someone pays us is $2,000 a month, right? We are their bookkeeper, controller, data analyst, and CFO. Depending on whether or not amounts of what you need on your high transactions will dictate first, second, or third tier package. We always say this, we are not trying to be the cheapest because we're the best. We're not trying to actually fill a role of do like these softwares that claim that it's all done for you. We actually do the physical work. You're buying our humans to do the work at a fraction of the cost. And that's how it works. And the thing that I care more about is you realize that's not about your tax return. The tax return is something you and I have personal nature to the IRS. It's actually not really a function of the business. Most businesses are flow-through businesses. And at the end of the year, you work with someone to minimize tax. Along the way, you rob the business of making good fiscal decisions every day, every hour, and every month in order to make wise decisions for the company. So what Fully does is that four-in-one model. Not everyone does the fractional CFO part, but everyone does the bookkeeper, the controller, and the data analyst. And sometimes, depending on the team, they have one of those professionals that we help become the, so to speak, the liaison inside the business, and we backfill the rest of it. And so your package will determine once our onboarding team gets on there and figures out those components, but that's how it works. I love this. Can I just say how significantly cheap that is compared to what I thought it was going to be? Yeah, I know, because we have a really good offer, Adam. Everyone thinks it's going to be this major, bigger cost. And the reality is we've been able to figure out how to develop the right resources so that we can develop this offer. We haven't made the Inc. 5000 list and are growing really well by accident. We've been able to figure out a few things. And now our biggest barrier is the guy who's in charge, me. I'm a growth freak. I always want it to be bigger than it is right now. And so <laughs> like, that's our biggest barrier is this idea that we date divorce people and I compete against ignorance. Other than that, Fully has a complete offer. I love this. All right. So you run a mastermind as well, right, Vinny? That's something I know that you and me have spoken about. Would you like to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. You know, I mean, I literally am a leader in a business. I'm not an accountant. I'm not a data analyst. I have a team that is, and they're wonderful and competent. But at the end of the day, my heartbeat are for guys and gals like me and you, Adam, who are living it every day, fighting the good fight. And one of the reasons I opened a mastermind, it's called Total CEO is I didn't have something that I want other people to have. Early on, I didn't have mentors. I didn't have people to help me. And part of that was my own chip on my shoulder because I was a poor kid and had all these other things. I wanted to do it on my own. I didn't want the help of other people. 
Now that was ass backwards. That shouldn't have been done that way. And when I, when the light bulb went on, I'm like, you know what? I feel like with much is given, much is expected. So I decided to jump in and give and help. And so we focus on the growth of the business and all the mature elements that go along with that. We're not a marketing mastermind. We're not a next hack or trick. We don't promise you 10Xing. We literally work on the components of your business and it's moderated and led by me. And we run it like a boardroom style, meaning you're there to work on your business, not hear a presentation from somebody. Then how often do you run those? We do it four times a year. We try to do it like a business would. You have quarterly meetings in your company and we try to stack it like a quarter. Every quarter you meet and you break away as the owner working on your business and the elements that are necessary to address so that you can go back to your company with a kind of a board meeting completed so that you can go and develop strategy and execute and implement and bring that back to the next quarter and rinse and repeat. Here's the thing about like talking to you versus like a lot of the other people that we've had on the show. You are a hundred percent knowledgeable about what you do. And you know, like I said, like you're someone I look up to as a mentor and I know I've got tons to learn from. I mean, heck, like, you know, I've got a seven figure business and got multiple of those, but I've never run an eight figure business. You know, that's what's so impressive about listening to you. And to you, it's like a walk in the park. It's something you've done many times before. And I think people don't realize like the difference between eight figures and seven figures is immense. It's significantly larger. A lot of people, when they think about the term millionaire, they're really just thinking about a million or two million. And they think, you know, like a business like mine that's doing one to two million every year, that's more than a lot of people will make in their lifetime. And yet you think of a company like yours that's doing significantly more than that. It's impressive. Well, I'll tell you, one of the things I'd like to say is I just want to comment about one item you said in there. Thank you for those compliments, but it's actually never easy. Funny thing is, I think somehow when we get to certain milestones, we're kind of hoping it's going to be easier. And what happens is I think there's a a mindset that's critical, a hacker's mindset to get to seven figures. I think people need to realize that only 7% of all companies do above seven figures in revenue. It's actually a very small class of companies. Most people are scratching and clawing to get there. And the hacker's mindset necessary to get to seven figures is different than going from seven to eight figures. This idea that marketing is always right near the top of important is so true. Then what you have to add to that is this idea of innovation. And at every level, you got to innovate. And one of the biggest innovations that I'd love to leave everyone with is this think like four Ps. You have to have a killer product, right? You must have something that offers value to people. Then along the way, as you generate customers, a business is nothing without customers. So you've got this product or service that people want from you and the market is rewarding you with more of those because you're solving a problem or you offer value. Then on top of that, the second P is this idea of process. You have to start developing structure around the way you deliver your product or service so that you can have consistency. That leads to efficiency, which ultimately leads to excellence. Now, in order to have a brand, if you miss out on structure and process, you will never get excellence because you lack consistency. People don't want you to be perfect. They need you to be consistent. Then, once you have that, you have to go tackle the most important P, which is people. For me, I had to wake up and realize that I'm really good at a few things, but in order to really grow something beyond my shadow, it needed to involve people put them in the right spots, like Jim Collins says, in the right spots on the bus and give them the tools to thrive. And so if you take people and you have a good process and you have a service or a product that offers value, 
you have a winning combination. And it was only until I was on my third eight-figure business when I realized I was missing probably the overshadowing big P that was missing was profit. And once I realized that I became the profit protector of a profit margin, it started to be very different for me because of that fourth P. And that's when you start seeing maturity in your business. That's why in the beginning phase, I'll never say to a, someone who's doing $100,000 a year, you know, you need to worry about these four Ps. They need to worry about getting customers, yeah. right? They just got to get customers. And then all the other stuff just becomes the headaches of growing. Once you get established at a criteria where you have to evaluate those four Ps, I say when you're at a run rate above a half a million a year, you are someone who really needs to start looking at your business differently to get ready for seven in late stage seven and be able to go there. I absolutely love this, Vinny. You're incredible. But be honest with you, you've delivered so many. Actually, one of the best things you can do is to find the things that interest you. Find out very quickly the things that don't and have others help you with that. You know, I read a book once, Angela Duckworth's Grit, and she said four things. She said people give up for one of four reasons. They give up because they're bored. Ouch. I get guilty of that one a lot because I want to chase too many opportunities at the same time. Two, because they quit. They don't put in the work long enough to actually overcome a certain threshold. They don't see short-term what actually requires more medium or long-term. Three, they're just not interested. Because they're not interested, they don't keep going to develop an expertise. Or four, they don't think I have what it takes. They look at it and they say, well, I don't think I can put the effort in. And they just bail. I think the smartest thing someone could do is realize which one of those four at any given moment is what's causing you to be one bad decision away from quitting and understand why. I love that. I got to share a final story of you because I know you'll get this. She was one of my employees today. And this employee has been the fastest growing employee in our company. They went from intern to paid intern to employee. Yeah, and this is all within a span of like nine months. This person is rising fast. They don't know, but behind the scenes, we're even talking about going a step further, putting them as like, we're really impressed with this employee. And for the first time ever this weekend, they had a task. It was very stressful. And they said to me privately, hey, I had this feeling today, like what you were asking me to do is way above my pay grade. And I'm like, you don't pay me enough to deal with that. And I didn't say it, but I really wanted to talk this out with you because it crossed into my mind and like, not as my boss, but as my mentor and my friend, can you help me deal with this feeling? And I said, yeah, we just have to look at the past. I was like, we've continually given you tasks that are above your pay grade and you have continually accepted them and risen because of it. And I was like, and now I just want you to ask yourself, is this the end? Is this the top of the stairs? Like, is there no higher for you? Or will you once again take on this bigger, tougher, more difficult task and rise again? And you know, I said to him, I was like, everybody believes they have a boundary or a threshold that is where they are. But the funny thing is, it's just your belief of where that boundary or threshold is. You can always choose to take on more, rise to the occasion and keep going. I love that. I uh, recently had dinner with a woman in Prague and her husband went in this really cool opportunity where we ate in their home. And she is a survivor as a victim of uh, the genocide attempt of between the Bosnian Serbians and the Sarajevo conflict. Oh, wow. And she said to me, you really never know how tough you are until you're pushed to the edge. It was so motivating to hear that because I think I don't need to have shrap metal in my leg or to dive out of the way of a grenade to realize business is hard. And lots of times, I think as an owner, we had the mindset that we're just, everyone else makes it look a little easier and that we run into adversity and we quit. 
And the biggest hacker thing that I hear you talk about is how to overcome that. And so if we can do that on a regular daily basis and do the work that there's a reason why we're part of the 5%, 3% or 1% crowd is because you're going to outwork the person next to you. I agree 100%. Vinny, I appreciate this so much. Anyone listening to this, there is so much value here. And this is like the real stuff. It's not the glitzy, glamorous, you know, do this one quick trick thing. It is, if you follow this, this will single-handedly grow your business. I know it because this is stuff that I listen to. Vinny, once again, thank you so much for taking the time to come and join us. And for you listening here, thank you for joining us. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.